Father God, you know our request, Father, but you also know what we need that we don't know we need. So Father, I pray that right now, as we open up your word, that you'll break us where we need to be broken, that you will heal us where we have been wounded, that you will cause to rise up and be exalted those who are humble, and that you will humble those who are exalted. Father, we long to learn from you. We long to be shaped by the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, be with us now as we open up Ezekiel 34. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. As we come to the end of 2020, many of us find ourselves weary beyond words. We have buried loved ones. We have faced sickness and cancer and pain. We have seen the tragic incapability of our leaders, our princes, our kings, our governors, our politicians to bring lasting peace. This year has revealed our grumbling and heartache, uh, uh, hunger, aching heart more than ever. It seems it has revealed wounds, new and old. Perhaps some of these wounds have come from those closest to you. And perhaps you have given a few of these wounds for yourself. Maybe even some of the sweetest friendships you once have enjoyed have proven to be fragile and broken. And now we see here at the end of 2020 that the world is broken and all the king's horses and all the king's men simply cannot put it back together again. Still more, we're left fearing what might come in 2021. What then do we do when we see the vast inadequacies of the way things are? What do we do when we come to see that none of our human shepherds can secure peace? What do we do when we see that sometimes even peace amongst ourselves is elusive and fragile, that friendships are broken, friendships are divided, that people who once played together and fellowship together and even went out and sang together, that they no longer do those things because they're mad at each other and angry because of the way the things have gone in the world. It's left us hoping, I hope, we're the good shepherd who can bring peace. We can't bring it to ourselves. We can't keep it for ourselves. We can't maintain it for ourselves. Nobody can give it to us. But Ezekiel 34 breathes the hope. And what a great hope to have here at this Christmas Advent season that God is giving us a shepherd who will be able to bring lasting peace to his people. Now, Ezekiel 34 is not generally viewed as a Christmas text. It's not something that people would typically turn to. I mean, if I asked you what text would you like to hear taught in Advent season, typically you look at Luke 1 or Luke 2, maybe Matthew 1 and 2. Um, Ezekiel 34 is just simply not on the list. And though it's not generally a Christmas text, it still captures the hope and the joy and the peace that we long for every Christmas season. Put plainly, Ezekiel 34 is here in the Bible to show you why you need Jesus to take on, why you needed Christ to take on flesh and become your Davidic divine shepherd. And it gives us a glimpse at what's going to come from his care of God's sheep. So if you are someone who has been weary from 2020, if you're someone who's been afraid, if you are someone who has been hurt, angry, Wounded, Ezekiel 34 is for you. Now in context, the book of Ezekiel is a very difficult denouncement against Israel. 
The book spans a time period from the initial deportation of Jerusalem's King Jehoiakim and several key leaders, including priests like Ezekiel. And in this book, Ezekiel writes from exile, from Babylon, before the massive deportation, before the final destruction of Jerusalem. He begins to write, and the Lord gives him visions here in Babylon to see what's about to come. God's people had given themselves up to idolatry and covenant infidelity. They were altogether unfaithful people. They set up idols and committed sins on every hilltop and on all the mountaintops in Israel. And as a consequence, God says that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed in the sight of all the nations. Now listen to the terrifying pronouncement of judgment. I will withdraw. Can you imagine hearing that as God's people? You've been told that the Lord would be your God and you will be his people. He set up this temple that's supposed to be the symbol of his presence. And it's in this temple that it said that he will walk to and fro. And in Jerusalem, all the nations would come and meet with God. And yet, because of your infidelity, God says, I'm leaving. God's vine has become fruitless. His bride has become a prostitute. And the Lord has drawn his sword against the sinful. Now the judgment's not executed until Ezekiel 33. So you get 33 chapters of Ezekiel pleading with his people to listen. Judgment's coming. Idolatry's coming. And not just for Israel, but for all the nations that are in idolatry. And then in Ezekiel 33, in Ezekiel's 12th year of being in exile, exactly what God said would happen, happens. The city was struck down. The temple was destroyed. And a host of Jerusalem's population was carted off to Babylon. Now, I just want you to put yourself into their shoes. Understandably, the remnant people of God were broken. Their kings had failed them. In the final deportation, they watched the Babylonians blind their king Zedekiah, who had promised that he would defeat King Nebuchadnezzar. They watched as their king was humiliatingly led in chains, blind and bound and having to be led by soldiers into deportation. So complete humiliation. Their homes were destroyed and everyone, everyone knew someone who had been killed in the slaughter. As exiles, they were at the complete mercy of the pagan Babylonians who, when you read the book of Daniel, had no qualms about killing off those who didn't worship like them. So as far as they knew, their temple's gone, their city's gone, their families are gone. It's over. What happens now? What happens now? Ezekiel 34 comes into the midst of their memories of seeing their burnt and charred homes, the rubble, the dead bodies, the bodies of their children bodies of their parents, the bodies of their neighbors and friends. It comes into those painful memories. It says, here's what happens next. And it brings incredible joy. So here we are at the end of 2020. We've not quite, I, I don't want to be over dramatic of what we've experienced this year, but we've experienced sim similar things. We all have been afraid of what's happening in this time and this season. We all have expressed some sort of frustration or hurt or pain or wounding. And at the end of the year, we're left asking what happens now? So it's just a good time against this backdrop of mourning and loss and suffering and hardship that Ezekiel proclaims the good news of the coming Davidic shepherd 
who will bring lasting shalom, lasting peace to his people. Now, the overall message of Ezekiel 34 seeks to show you why you need a shepherd. There's some of us that maybe, maybe we haven't paid attention. Maybe we haven't watched carefully. Maybe we aren't sitting here thinking the, the, the world of men has failed us. The kings, the governors, the princes, the presidents, the politicians, all of them all together wholesale have failed us and we need a new shepherd. Maybe you're not that someone. But Ezekiel 34 comes in into that and it says, yes, just look at what your life is. Just look at the world around you. Just look at the suffering. Look at the inadequacies of these human shepherds. And know that you need a new David. You need the shepherd to come who will stand in the place of God. So the overall message, the whole point of Ezekiel 34 is simply to declare to you that you need a shepherd and God is the one who will give him. You need a shepherd and God is the one who raises him up. The chapter uh, follows a very simple outline and I have it in your notes if you have your notes. It follows first an indictment. It talks about the bad shepherds and God talks directly to these bad shepherds in verse one through six. And then he gives judgment on these bad shepherds and says, no longer will they prey on the sheep in verses seven through 10. And then right at the end of that section in verses 11 through 16, God says, I myself will shepherd my sheep. And then he starts over again, just like there's bad shepherds, there's bad sheep in verses 17 through 19 sheep who who ram and butt and gore, all these other sheep. And he said, he indicts them. He, he, he calls down judgment on them. And the judgment will be in verses 20 through 22, that they won't have an opportunity to prey on the sheep anymore. And then you come to the final promise. God will send a new shepherd, a new David, who will bring together a covenant of peace and will bring back his people from the nations and they will dwell on his pasture land. So it all flows just indictment, judgment, God is shepherd, indictment, judgment, David. And it ends with that climactic picture where Eden, a better than Eden state is restored under the reign of this good shepherd who leads us to good pasture lands, feeds us, heals us, binds up the weak, heals the wounds and becomes a better friend than any other friend could be. So let's look first at the indictment. In Ezekiel 34, God turns his attention first to, the, to Israel's shepherds. Now, shepherds in this text and in Old Testament text typically uh, refers to like kings, other leaders, governors, uh, priests and prophets. It's anyone who had been charged to take care of the people of God, to lead the people of God. And so God speaks directly to Israel's kings, directly to Israel's prophets, directly to Israel's priests. And he, here's what he says. Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. I think as we read this, we see that the shepherd's failures can be broken up into three basic categories. And it just so happens that these three basic failures are continually characteristic of our leaders today. Pastors, governors, politicians, whoever it may be, we still see these same three failures in our human shepherds. And I just want to let you know, I'm not standing up here 
as the one human shepherd who hasn't committed these three things. I am standing up here as a flawed human shepherd that you only know half of the ways I have broken these things. I am standing up here to help you see that you still need, even with a pastor who loves you and who would do anything to care for you, you still need the divinely Davidic shepherd. Here's what we see. First, the shepherds are self-serving. They've been called to feed the sheep, but instead they feed themselves. And how do they feed themselves? They eat the fat. Now that word fat doesn't just mean they eat the fat sheep. It means they eat the fat, the choicest meat. Now, if you know the Old Testament context, and you know that it is, by, it is to the Lord that the fat is devoted, and only to God. He gets the best at every sacrifice. And so what they are doing here is they're taking the best of everything that belongs to God, exalting themselves, becoming miniature gods themselves, in a sense. Kind of the way that Eli and Hophni in 1 Samuel 2 are coming and abusing God's people and taking the fat and coercing God's people to break God's law. It's a uniquely arrogant form of self-exaltation that puts self before God. Rather than serving God with the best, they take the best themselves. Not only do they eat the fat, but they also take the wool and then they slaughter the fat ones. Don't sound like shepherds, do they? Throughout the Bible, a shepherd's meant to give love, show care, show concern, serve, die even for the sheep. Shepherds tend the sheep, but these shepherds tend to themselves. They do not just fleece the flock, they feast on it. They see the flock as a means to self-gratification and self-exaltation. As God says later, these shepherds are more like predators than they are protectors. In addition to being self-serving, these shepherds are negligent. God entrusted them with his prized possession, his people. Those who he declared to be his treasured possession. And yet they have dramatically failed in their duty. Because they're so busy gorging themselves, taking what they can, taking the best, taking what belongs to God alone. They do not feed the sheep. They do not strengthen the weak. The, the sick are without healing. The injured are still limping around and there's strays all over the place, and no one is bringing them back, has devastating effects in the life of the sheep. But further still, they are abusive. God laments with force and harshness, you have, you have ruled them. This goes beyond just a mere overcriticalness. This has this idea of, of being violent or abusive. They're altogether just abusive, arrogant bullies. Arrogant bullies. It's interesting. In 2020, I've known three pastors who've had to step down because of abusive leadership. I know of Christian organizations that have had to fire their presidents because of abusive leadership. The Bible's replete with instances where those in leadership, kings and priests, oppress the poor, violate the helpless, and even at times sacrifice their own children to idols. The record shows how King Ahab pouted when uh, Naboth refused to sell him his vineyard and how he pouted just enough for Jezebel to go and have him slaughtered and give the land over to Ahab. It's a far different type of leadership than we read of in Hosea 11.4. Here's what God says about his leadership. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. 
God humbles himself and bends down. You see this image of a shepherd kneeling with the, feet, with the food in his hands so that the sheep can eat from it. And that's the way that God leads his people. He's so loving that in Isaiah 40, 11, it says that God carries his lambs in his arms. How many leaders do you know that are like that? We'd be hard pressed to find many leaders like that. Now the result of their unfaithful shepherding is that God's sheep have been scattered. Here's God's viewpoint. He believes that self-serving, negligent, abusive shepherds are as bad or worse than having no shepherds at all. It would have been better for him to take his flock and put him out in the middle of the wilderness with all the wild beasts surrounding them and to not give them any shepherds because these shepherds are killing more sheep than the wild beasts are. I mean, it's a, it's a proven fact that during this time, scholars have debated about this, but during this time, more Israelites killed Israelites than the nations killed Israelites. I, just, I think that's, that's something for us to see maybe a little bit. There are more people being hurt by church people than there are people being hurt by people outside the church. We don't have to wait for persecution to come because sometimes it comes from within. God's people hurt God's people. And it is a terrible reality. And that is what God is is lamenting here is that his people have failed to care for his people. His shepherds have failed to care and tend for the flock. They are so selfish and abusive and negligent and me-centered, me first. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, but none to search or seek for them. In these verses, wild beasts probably refers to the nations to which Israel has been scattered. uh, The negligence of the unfaithful shepherds has led to exile from the promised land. They have wandered over every high hill and mountaintop. Now that carries a double entendre here where you see throughout the book of Ezekiel, he says they have set up idols on every high hill and every mountaintop. Now, as a result, they are forced to live and walk among every high hill and every mountaintop. Their idolatry has terrible ramifications. Their idolatry leads to terrible exile. Now the subtle warning in this, is to be careful, be wary of leaders who leave you to your own idolatry. My friends, do you want leaders to just let you do what you want? If you do, that is terrible news. Any leader who does not at least attempt to keep you from wandering freely on every mountaintop and every high hill is not a leader who is concerned about your spiritual health and vitality. Leaders who do not at least plead with you and call out the evils of idolatry, the evils of sin, the evils of arrogance, the evils of anger, the evils of these certain sins that God has pointed out and and pointed out their devastating effects. Even those, you should want leaders who don't let you run freely into sin. That's what God is lamenting here is that there are people wandering freely in sin and no shepherds are stopping them. Fill in the blank. For the wages of sin is 
So if something you're doing can be proven as a sin and a leader steps up and cries it out and pleads with you to turn from it, they have saved you from the biblical principle. Doesn't always feel like it's loving. Doesn't always feel like it's good because guess what? It takes humiliation. It takes humbling for us to say, you know what? You're right. I need to be shepherded. My friends, we as American people, more than ever, just don't want to be people who are shepherded. In Scripture, free roaming is roaming to death. We should want shepherds who will care for us. We should want shepherds who will love us. We should want shepherds who honor God by pleading us away from sin. Who will come to our doorstep, who will pick up the phone who will call and say, I saw this and I need to talk to you about it. We should want those shepherds because they're doing what these shepherds refuse to do and look at where it led God's people. So the first reason God gives in showing why his people need a better shepherd is that human shepherds have altogether failed them. They're self-serving, they're negligent, they're abusive leaders. Now, I think we can think of some of these in our own day, right? I I already shared with you some of the pastors I knew, um, but we know of other pastors who pragmatically use their flock as a means to fame, financial gain, and sometimes even sexual gratification. That came out in a Dallas newspaper recently. Such failures are apparent in our politics. I don't care which side of the fence you are. Whatever happened, the political game should have shown you just how inadequate all of our leaders are today. It's apparent in our politics with many of our human governors and politicians eating the fat, slaughtering their constituency, and leading out of self-interest and self-aggrandizement. Many of us have experienced such leadership in the workplace as some of our bosses tend to care only about their own promotions rather than the health and limitations of their employees. Some of us have seen it with fathers who fail to represent the kindness and love of the Heavenly Father. Their heavy, abusive hand hits And leave scars on the children's tender hearts. Now all these are tragic instances of bad leaders. Who work together to remind us of our desperate need for a good, good shepherd. It's as if we consider, it's as we consider the painful wounds inflicted by bad shepherds. That we long and anticipate the healing hand of our divine shepherd. My friends, it is okay for us to say and rec- to, to point out and recognize the failings of our human shepherds. Because sometimes in acknowledging the fact that our human shepherds have failed us, acknowledging the fact that our human shepherds are insufficient, are inadequate, any man that leads us is inadequate, helps us to have a greater worship for the divine shepherd who never fails us. You realize if we become completely content with our human shepherds, There's no need to find satisfaction in Christ. There's no need to want and long for and anticipate his reign. That said, God's public rebuke of Israel's shepherds should prepare us to bask in the sufficiency of God's shepherding. Now, we turn to the judgment. That's bad shepherds, okay? You can fill in the blanks of who those are in your own life or in your own day, and the fact of the matter is we have bad shepherds who fail us. Obviously, God will not tolerate these bad, self-serving, negligent, abusive shepherds forever. 
Instead, he commits to judge those who neglect and harm his people. He swears on his own life. Can you imagine God swearing on his own life? As I live. In other words, whatever follows, if it doesn't happen, God's basically saying, I'll die. I, God, will die if I don't do this. As I live, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer will the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Now in this, God declares an outright war against his own kings, against his own priests, his own prophets. They will be treated no differently than the wild beasts, the lions, the bears that snack on God's lambs. As a good shepherd does, God will snatch the lambs from their mouth. You hear this Davidic overtone when David talks about snatching lambs out of the mouths of lions and bears. And God's going to do that very thing. Just as these bad shepherds are about to feast on his people, he's going to snatch them out. He's saying here explicitly, all human shepherds, whether they be princes, kings, presidents, politicians, or pastors, stand under the scrutiny of God's watchful eye. He is the shepherd. He sees all. He knows how these shepherds are treating his lambs. Every once in a while in our elder council, we'll turn to Ezekiel 34 for a devotional time. I think we've done it three or four times in the time I've been here. And we just read this text. Because as elders, we feel responsible to be shepherds of God's people. And so often, as always, it's just terrifying to think, I am against the elders of Grace Church. Like that, that makes my bones quake. It makes me tremble to think that if I neglect to care for God's sheep, if any elder in this church refuses to take care of God's sheep, God sets himself against them. They are his sheep. That is his love for you. That he doesn't let anybody buy. Nobody gets a pass. It doesn't matter who they are. Prince, pastor, parent. If anyone harasses, abuses, opposes, hurts, wounds, neglects any of his sheep, they will answer to him personally. Now, if you have been the victim of bad shepherds, you can take heart. God has witnessed your pain. God's seen it. He knows it. And as the just shepherd, he will vindicate you. He has not turned a blind eye to the abuse. He has not overlooked your, the threats, the abusiveness, or the scars. He sees, he knows, and he remembers that you are his. Your shepherd will make all wrongs right in the end. That being so, leave it to the Lord. Do not allow the abuses of bad shepherds to overshadow the joy of having the Lord as your shepherd. I wrote an article probably four months ago um, that was published on the For the Church website, and it's entitled uh, uh, Five Reasons Why Being Disappointed with Your Pastor is a Good Thing. And, and just throughout 2020, as things have popped up, I've just copied and pasted that link to different people. And the very first point is, the true disappointment is that you didn't think that I would disappoint you. That's the truly disappointing thing. The next point is pastors are just placeholders. Failed leaders are just placeholders for the perfect leader. 
It's okay for us to say, this guy's imperfect. It's okay for us to say, that president's imperfect. It's okay for us to say, that politician's inadequate. He'll do for a few years, but he's not going to bring us that lasting peace. I am constantly having to teach myself that. My friends, as a pastor, I'm just like you. I've experienced the failure of people. It hurts when friends betray you, doesn't it? Pastors feel that. It hurts when you go through different stages in life and and wounds get inflicted. We feel that. We receive the subtleties just like you do when somebody kind of insinuates our inadequacies. We get that. But the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. I can be satisfied with the worst president in the world. I can be satisfied with the worst politicians in Congress. I can be satisfied with the worst, most negligent pastor in the world. Why? Because they're not my ultimate shepherds. The Lord, my God, shepherds me, and I am his sheep. And that's what God says next. That's the solution. God's solution to bad shepherding is that he himself will be his people's shepherd. He will do what the human shepherds fail to do. He will search for the sheep, find them, and rescue them. He will bring them out. Now, if you're a careful Bible reader, that phrase, bring them out, carries a very clear exodus overtone to it. He's going to do another exodus. He's going to bring his people who have been scattered among the countries out, and he will bring them and feed them in good pastures. The sheep who were scattered over every mountaintop will find safety in the mountains of Israel. He will shepherd them, give them rest, seek out the lost, bring back the strays, stitch up the wounded, strengthen the weak, and judge the fat and strong. He promises, I will feed them in justice. My friends, where human shepherds fail, God always succeeds. He alone can sufficiently shepherd his sheep and provide, this may be sounding redundant, and I hope it is. I hope it gets hammered in. Only God can sufficiently shepherd his sheep and provide lasting peace. The good pasture lands, the grazing places, they won't come from political parties. They won't come from policy changes. They won't come by you being a better person. They won't come from your friends. Good, lasting pasture land comes from God. A full spiritual belly comes from a divine shepherd. Everything we seek in men but fail to find, the security, the peace, the protection, the spiritual feedings, the healings can only be found in one place. Do you acknowledge that? Do you acknowledge that? Or do you get, find yourself drifting into finding all these things in the wrong places? Are you someone who's like, yeah, 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 I, I know. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. And you start doing Psalm 23, but it has no real effect in your life. Yeah, the economy might crash. Very real possibility. We're led by humans, and they can't sufficiently feed us. Yeah, people will die. A lot of our leaders don't care if you do or not. Yeah. It's going to be a tough road ahead. And in many ways, it's because of the way people have led us. Good news, everyone. It doesn't depend on them. It depends on God, who is our shepherd, who will lead us home. 
He is our shepherd. He will bring us out. Nobody else. He will feed us. Now, my hope is that you will not be looking for this in all the wrong places, but you'll be looking for this in the peace that the Lord brings alone. Now, here's the second indictment. We've talked about bad shepherds, right? And all of us like to, bad shepherds, yeah. Let's let them have it, Lord. Now let's talk about bad sheep. This is my favorite part of the sermon. I was super humble at the beginning, just so I could really go off on this one. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just play. I'll just play. We don't have any bad sheep at Grace Church. If you do, you'll be emailed later. He's one of them. God says, just as there are bad shepherds in Israel, there are bad sheep. This isn't consumerism, okay? Where it's like the customer's always right, the sheep are always good. No. The shepherds are bad, so are the sheep. And verse 17, God says, as for you, my flock. So you see, it starts off just like, as for you, shepherds. He says, as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Now, this may sound, sound strange. What, what does that mean? Why would God judge between sheep and sheep? Well, to everyone else in Israel, every Israelite might look like a sheep. God knows that they're not all his sheep. Isn't that terrifying? God's eyes see the eternal reality. He knows that while everybody might say they're a sheep, even maybe everybody thinks they're a sheep, that in reality, some are rams, sheep, and some are goats, pretend sheep. The subtle warning in this is that not everyone who thinks they are sheep actually is one. God knows his people. Does that bring fear to your heart? Just a little bit. I don't want to question anybody's salvation up here. I grew up with that, and it kind of always caused me to fear. I do think there's a healthy level of fear, though, where we know at the end of the day that God knows the state of our heart, even if nobody else does. That God knows the reality of who we are, even if we sufficiently fool everybody else. I think that's that's a clear warning from this text. Just not to be presumptuous to think that you are a sheep just because you're here in church today. Or you are a sheep just because you read the Bible. Or you are a sheep because you might have voted the right way. No, no. God wants you to understand. He knows and he sees. Now let's look at this. These goats that God gives the the warnings to, these fake sheep, are not content with the spiritual blessings of God. And they tend to unlovingly solely the blessings for other sheep. Now, do your best not to call out any names as we read this, okay? God says, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep, you hear he doesn't say must you, he just says must my sheep. So he differentiates Those who are doing these things and his sheep must, my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Now, what's notable about these sheep is that they demand clear water. We want clean, fresh, cold water. We want green food for ourselves. But they are abusively inconsiderate of the flock around them. 
Like the unforgiving servant, they refuse to extend the same mercy they have been given. They've been given love and care and feeding and watering and care and provision in the desert, and yet they let everybody else starve. Let everybody else die of thirst. Ezekiel says just a little bit later, not only are they selfish, but they're abusive. He says, they push with side and shoulder and thrust all the week with their horns. There's been, I'm, I'm a farm boy, and there was one time this happened um, with, uh, with cattle, actually. It's nasty looking. I mean, cows kicking each other, shouldering each other into the fence. It's bloody affair. There's certain calves that die in the process. I mean, this is what he sees is happening. He sees these sheep and they're a me first. Let me go forward. Move out of my way. Kind of people. The reality is that even though they think they're sheep, their lack of love for others prove they're goats. It's interesting that Throughout all the Bible, you can turn to 1 John and read it, that a lack of love is pretty definitive of who we really are. And so when we're not as loving as we should be, I think it should be a little bit of a warning so that at least we're living inconsistently with our claim to be a sheep. If there is such a thing as an unloving sheep, then it is a weird inconsistency. And it needs to be righted. Otherwise, the more severe possibility is that they're a goat who thinks they're a sheep. They abuse the other sheep. Selfish. My friends, you might be saying, you know what, I'm just a church member. Lower the standards here. My friends, you may be nothing more than a sheep. You're still called to love like the shepherd. You being a sheep doesn't release you of your responsibilities and your calling to love like the shepherd. And if you hate, if you can't stand, if you can't be around, if you can't serve, if you can't care for, if you can't cross the line to love another sheep, my friends, take that as a severe warning. You are at best spiritually weak. At best spiritually stunted. I've got to tell you, do not take for granted that warning sign. When you find yourself not able to love others, that is a massive, massive inconsistency. God will hold the bad shepherds accountable. If you have a shepherd someday that hurts you and wounds you, they will answer for that. But my friends, the goats are held accountable as well. When they butt, when they bump, when they gore other sheep, God doesn't tolerate that any more than he does bad shepherds. In fact, he says that it will bring judgment to the bad sheep, the pretend sheep, the goats. God promises, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. To who? To other sheep. They will no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. My friends, can we just take a moment this Advent season and consider how we are loving others? 
Are we wounding other sheep? I mean, this season has just, the world has created a, a perfect, a perfect uh, uh, pressure cooker for these kind of divisions and headbutting and goring one another. And my friends, I, I can't imagine anyone who has lived through 2020 who's not been horned by another sheep or who has not been nibbled on by bad shepherds. I think all of us can have that experience. Some of us might be just missing a leg. There's other, others of us that are just crawling, trying to get to the good shepherd as much as possible. But the reality is, we have all experienced bad sheep and bad shepherds. When we look at those around us, do we look in the same love and compassion that God has for them? My friends, that person next to you may be quirky. I am a weird dude. We had Narnia day in our house this last weekend. But you're still called to love me even in my weirdness. Your neighbor is still called to receive your compassion, your tenderness. When we speak about others, do we do it in such a way that is hurtful? Do we create all these little subtleties that are just subtle gorings in these conversations where we just want someone else to feel inferior? Or do we speak tenderly to them as a shepherd would? Do we seek to bind up? Do we give to other sheep the mercies we ourselves have received? Do you get clear water? you get green food? Do you give green food and clear water? The shepherd opens the gate. To the fold, do you block the way to keep others from going in? Or do we eat and drink and enjoy our spiritual fulfillment and say, oh, that was good. They'll have to eat what I pooped on and what I walked on, what I defiled. My friends, we're called to be sheep, not goats. We're called to love like the shepherd and that me first kind of person should be something that we repent of quicker than anything else. Now we get to the good news. He said, indictment, judgment, shepherd. Now he gets through indictment, judgment, and shepherd. The presence, the presence of bad shepherds and bad sheep painfully illustrates the truth. We need a new shepherd. Here's what he says. And I will set up over them one shepherd, one shepherd, not a rotating shepherd, not a shepherd for four years, not a shepherd who will reign with political limitations, but I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and continue feeding them and continue feeding them. They will be fed. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will sh shall be prince over among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Can you imagine how good this must have felt? In Ezekiel five, God said he was withdrawing from his unfaithful people. And now he promises the reign of a new David who will bring them back to him. He centers all of our hopes on a new David who will care for us. It's in this last shepherd prophecy that God says he himself will be shepherd and then turns around and says, I will bring a new shepherd, David. So one and the same God shepherding in this Davidic shepherd is coming together here it is one and the same. And it's through this Davidic shepherd that God proves that he is the Lord God who is with them. That's powerful. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God with them. When will they know that? When the new Davidic shepherd reigns.
You want to know what comes from Christ? A good night's sleep. It says it in the text in Ezekiel 34, that when the Davidic shepherd reigns, they will be able to sleep soundly in the woods. I, I do a lot of camping and I went camping in the Rocky Mountains. My first time, I just remember hearing all this wrestling. I'm like a bear. Go back to sleep a little bit. Wrestling, mountain lion. During the Davidic shepherd's reign, there's no predators to worry about. Sleep. A good night's rest. Not only that, a full belly. Rain. Feeling, satisfaction. Shalom. Peace. All while he watches over them on his hill. My friends, I don't know how we can read Ezekiel 34 and not have our hearts stirred up. I just, I read this and I, and I, and I just remember my, my heart kind of being torn over this because I, I so feel this this year. The inadequacies of our world and all the people who are in it and lead it and all these things, all the insufficiencies and how badly we need this one shepherd. I think if we listen to that this year, you might not feel like celebrating Advent that much, but especially this year, having seen all the failures of humanity, having seen your own failures, you should more than ever say, we should celebrate this Christmas because God has sent this shepherd. He took on flesh. He became God with us. Emmanuel. He has sought out the lost. He is rescuing them, feeding them. He is bringing people from all nations into his fold. As the good shepherd, he laid down his life for the sheep. He died by the hands of bad shepherd and was mocked by bad sheep. Gored by goats like us. He was buried and like lifeless. Your shepherd was lifeless in the grave for three days. Then he rose again on the third to bring you up out of your sorrow, up out of your sadness, up out of your pain, up out of pandemics, up out of death, up out of hurt, up out of all these failures of these bad shepherds. He brings you up out of them and together we are seated together with Christ forever. 2020 might not be your year, but he's still your shepherd. So you can rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that in the lament and brokenness of our world, we will see and bask in our need for a good shepherd. As we begin this Advent series, I pray God that we will be stirred up to worship because Christ our Lord is our shepherd. Kings will fail. Some put their hope in princes. Some put their hope in chariots. Some put their hope in horses and swords and in military might, political might, financial might. God, we put our hope in no prowess. We put our hope in our strong shepherd who watches over his weak sheep. And we worship because even 2020 cannot separate us from the joy, the peace, and the hope of having Christ as our shepherd king. Be with us as we worship now. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.